Culture and Psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bomb.Dot listeners. Uh, today I'm sitting with Dr. Daniel Rockers, my friend and colleague from Tabana Organization. Uh, we are missing today Dr. Andrade, but uh, two of us are here. And today we decided to talk about racism and how do we actually raise kids that they are multiracial and multicultural. And as I was talking to Dr. Rockers, I thought uh, it would be nice to talk about this because specifically in the uh, new monthly uh, magazine from American Psychological Association, the cover sheet was about this and inside they had pages of talking about racism. So I just wanted to start and um, just wanted to say a quote from Dr. Salim Farzana a PhD and assistant professor in graduate school of education at Stanford University, who says racism is learned early on in development and children receive many messages about race and racism from a young age. Racism occurs across a spectrum. It lives within individuals and between them, within institutions and across society. And at every level, children are affected by discriminatory beliefs and practices. So uh, welcome Dr. Rockers to our uh, psychology and culture session. And I wanted to open this conversation with that, that kids pick up on what their parents and teachers say and don't say. So um, it's very important to realize that um, as a parent, how do we want to raise our children? Okay, good morning. I'm glad to be on the program side A once again. It's a very interesting topic, and I think it's a very ticklish and sensitive topic as well. I think that what she says is right on. Racism is a learned thing. We're not born with it. But what we are born with, and this is not to be missed and not to be underestimated, is that the way our brains and minds work is by categorizing things. We tend to categorize, right? If I see someone, I will typically tend to categorize them into people are tall or short or black or white or male or female. Categorizing in and of itself is not wrong. It is natural. Mm-hmm. It is what we do with those categories that is becomes the problem. So that's one thing. Another thing that I think is very difficult here, and if we go too far, it's just going to create more backlash than it is progress. And I think I don't think that too much caution is being shown in that way. And it is simply this that, If what I'm seeing a lot of is that it seems like there's just a lot of talk about white supremacy and it is kind of a blanketing categorization of white people and not in a good way. And to me, that sounds a lot like the whole thing we're fighting against, Mm -hmm. which is racism. And the reality is, and I forget who said this, I think it was Martin Luther King 
but it may have been someone else, pretty famous quote. He said, there is no unitary black man or black person. And in the same way, there's no unitary white person. In other words, there isn't, there's so much difference between all members of any particular race or any particular grouping that we tend to group. There's so much difference. And if what we do is just automatically throw that label on everyone, we're making a critical mistake. This is what we know from psychology, right? You should know about a group, but not indiscriminately apply all of those things to every single client you see in that group. That is wrong to do. That is unguided and it is uneducated to do that. But I see a lot of that happening in a lot of these writings mm-hmm. you know, where it says black people this and white people that. Well, as a group, maybe, maybe that's the case. However, I have a theory. I have another theory that in general, it's the small minority of a particular group that gets the most publicity. Mm-hmm. All right. So if I, for example, if I look at the January 6th uprising at the Capitol and heard people say, well, it's the white people doing it. Okay. It was not totally the white people doing it, but let's just say for purposes of this example, it, yeah. All right. It's the white people doing it. If we take that and then assume that all white people do that and feel that way, we're making a very big mistake. Mm-hmm. And I think it is this, uh, once again, it's the small minority of that group that ends up getting the publicity. And then the way the human mind works is we tend to categorize all of that group with that thing. So I think those are cautions we need to be very careful and cognizant of as we move forward in these types of studies, because here's what will happen is that if people end up being unjustly accused, and this we see, in the African-American population here, a lot is that a lot of them are unjustly accused based on this group labeling. And what happens? There becomes a backlash. People get tired of it and they get angry and then there's an uprising. So if the same thing is just happening in reverse to any particular group, whether it's Asians or whites or American Native Americans, there's probably going to be a backlash. Mm -hmm. What we need is a balanced approach. Yes, we need education. We need a balanced approach. And generally a balanced approach in my mind does not start off with a lot of finger pointing and accusations, right? What do we learn in uh, graduate school? If a client comes in, I start accusing them of whatever, they're probably going to be resistant and not show up for more sessions. Mm -hmm. And in couples, when we treat couples, I I would never uh, suggest to one member of the couple that they start accusing and name calling the other person. It's just not good relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So I think those are things we need to keep in mind as we go forward. I think it's very, I want to make sure that I'm very clear. I think it's very important that we treat everyone equally and well. And I also do believe there have been lots of injustices here mm-hmm. um so uh, generally speaking um don't you think that goes to generations after generations and it passes on and partly is from way back when when things happen 
still there are some heartfelt issues that carried, you know, as Jung talks about, you know, we carry things from generation to generation or we passed on, but specifically sensitive things like, um, you know, um, racism, like sexism, they all are going from way back when, when things were not really in an equilibrium, in a justice, in a in a way that um, they were thoughtful of all these things that now is coming out. Don't, they, don't you think that as a human being, sometimes we keep all these historical and um, generational issues um, and sometimes we get really rage about things that happened um, 300 years ago or 500 years ago. Um, so I just wanna see your opinion about that. Well, I think that it's easy to get outraged by things that when we read about or hear about that happened many years ago. And I'm not saying that those are right things, but it is also important to keep in mind the context of civilization at those levels. And what's happening is we're looking in on that from our context of 2021. Mm -hmm. Right. We're not looking at that in the context of 1960 mm -hmm. or 1920 or 1430 or 700 AD or 500 BC. And what we're witnessing, I, I believe this to be true. What we're witnessing is the evolution of our culture, essentially of our planet and the way an organism, and in this case, of all the population of the whole planet, each of, the, each of our cultures, which all meld together of the whole planet into one giant culture, whether people want to agree with that or not. But what we're witnessing is that evolving of this group culture. And you know, when I think back to what I just said earlier, maybe this is the way it has to evolve. Maybe things have to go back. I, although I still believe we can approach it in a little better way than just a lot of uh, name calling, labeling and accusation. I think there's more constructive ways, but I think uh, again, the context, if you look back in evolution, it's pretty evolution of a culture of our total earth culture here. It's, it is imperative to be able to examine it from that context of that time. Otherwise it doesn't make sense. It sounds idiotic. And it sounds stupid and we would call it extreme racism or extremely ignorant. And we can't believe why they did such things. A good example of that is if we look back at some old laws, there's some old laws on the books here or probably go further back like in Europe. There's some old laws when we look at it without a context, it does not make sense. Mm -hmm. So for example, in a hundred years from now, if we, if people look back to the 2020, the year 2020. And they say, oh my God, they made a law that you had to wear a mask anytime you walked inside. And people would say, what? Well, why in the heck would you ever wear a mask? Why do you have to wear a mask? What's that about? You know, and they probably think that's really weird if they did not know the context of there was a virus spreading around the world, which killed people, killed a lot of people. And if it didn't kill a lot of people, the ones that didn't kill, it left some of them with long haul symptoms. So context is critical, important. 
and also when you have a point um you know i was just thinking in politics in race in any issues uh, social issues uh, those that they carry out um a form of um you know um anything in the context of whatever they have to say they usually make it as big and exaggerated so that they can get what they want so obviously you know always when we hear things um of course there's some really exaggerated issues happening but what i see in politics um also that the um opposite groups of whatever is um under power of a group or a person or societies that they're taking over usually the opposing groups make things way more exaggerated to get to the point that they want so we know that but also as you said i agree that sometimes things happen and then that has been expanded to become um you know the whole issue of everyone who is white or everyone who is black that we know as you said the best is to address things at their context on and and at the point that is is really happening and and importance of it um so racism eth- ethnic uh, socialization don't you think uh, from childhood if parents socialize together so that the kids see that there's yes black there's asian there's white there's um indian american and if we really feel that there's no difference and it's just the appearance that is different don't you think the kids raise the same way but if we associate only with our group or with um you know certain cultural group our kids only see that when they're um growing up they don't associate with different group i was just thinking one of the maybe resolution to the issue is from childhood if we see that there's no difference and we are associating with different groups we socialize socialize with different groups maybe that helps raising multicultural or multi multiracial children uh, how does that work and i know there has been research after research to see if the kids they have any preferences when they're growing up and we know that majority of the researchers uh, have specified that as a baby as a toddler we don't see that until we are maybe 7 or 5 to 7 years when we start uh, noticing things and that could be even from the way we are raised what do you think of that oh well, i think that's one way of looking in on things and that i can't really speak to that research i think that what gets missed in a lot of this research though is it's we're not looking from multiple perspectives and what i mean by that is this is looking at groups and we're looking at group data and we say we take a group of uh, 300 white children that are 4 years old and 300 uh black children that are 4 years old and 300 indian children that are 4 years old and we check those things and we say oh my gosh there's uh preferences there but what is being missed there is there's a lot of individual level data 
that is probably critically important for sussing out what we're really seeing. Mm -hmm. Some may prefer their own because of certain personal insecurities. Some may prefer their own because of certain uh, traumatic incidents that have happened. Some may prefer their own because who knows what, I don't, maybe they like, I don't know, whatever it is, we don't know, right? So for example, some people like people with blonde hair better than people with dark hair, mm -hmm. right? We don't know. And so to say, well, it's just because they're black or they're white, or they only like this or that. I, I think there's something to it, but I think what needs to be incorporated is the more balanced viewpoint that looks from a lot of different perspectives. Otherwise we run the same risk as to what got us here. I believe this to be true. Instead of saying, how can we prevent racism? I think we need to ask, how can we not make the same mistakes we've made before? Mm -hmm. I think that's a more operative question. And it may sound like the same question, but I don't believe it is the same question. So how do we expand, let's say, if this is the idea that you have, how can we expand it to such a large society that in every part of this country, they have uh, different ways of looking at things. And sometimes um, in specific places, we know there's more rage over this. Um, you know, like in California is the most diverse and people from the time they open their eye, they looked at their right and left, they see this diversity. So what I'm saying is maybe, um, you know, having societies that are really mixed rather than, you know, I'm in this area because it's more white, high class area. This is low class and it's that. And, you know, there's so many diversion rather than coercion. And uh, I just wonder, it's not that easy to resolve the issue of race until um, you know, it's just like in psychology or sometimes in relationships, sometimes things, they have to come up in order to look at it, converse, um, you know, to resolve it. You can't put it, you can't conceal it. You can't put it behind. And maybe 2021 is the year or is the era that we need to start bringing everything up to conversation rather than being afraid of each other. because. I feel like at this point, it's so sensitive that I probably think you don't feel that easy to sit with a Black person and talk freely. Everybody is concealing their real thoughts. So in order to really get to the bottom of it, you know, everyone needs to feel comfortable to talk about it, to bring their ideas, to bring their issues. Like in psychology, even when we see the uh, couples, we usually sometimes even tell them that you may walk out of here and things maybe become worse, but it's okay. Don't worry, you come back and then we resolve some of the issues and maybe it is good to come up. Well, what we work to, I think what we work to do with couples is we work to have them have dialogue. What we don't work to do is have them slap labels on each other. You always this or you always that. That doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. I, unfortunately, I think that's not what's happening in today's current climate. Instead, it's, it's trenching in more deeply to your own, one's own camp. 
and it's pointing the fingers at some other camps. And I just, that's not a good way to start dialogue. That's a good way to start defensive responses. And that's what we're seeing in the country. We're seeing a lot of defensive responses. So what has to happen is dialogue. It isn't just throwing two groups or three groups of mixed people together and let them go at it. We know that we saw that didn't work in the 60s with the busing and the forced integration, right? Mm -hmm. That ended up not working out very well. Right. What we have to do is we have to have dialogue. People have to be able to have dialogue. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what's that? I said absolutely. And even having rage, having anger, having sadness, all these emotions should come out in a more sophisticated way rather than, as you said, anger and you know, fights or name callings or labeling. I totally agree. But are we at that point that we can have those dialogues? You know, what comes to my mind right now is that when between individuals, if we want to resolve something, and I think a good example is couples in marital therapy or couples therapy, relationship therapy, what needs to happen is people need to be able to say how they feel and to do so without getting punched back. Both sides need to be able to talk out how they feel. How they feel does not mean I feel like you're a jerk, right? That's just a disguised form of name calling. So that is does not that doesn't further anything. In fact, it doesn't it doesn't mean somebody gets heard well, and it doesn't mean somebody is able to process their emotions or their feelings. I think that's a lot of what's missing in this whole equation. It comes down, we have analogs, we have analogs with relationships and individual level. And we can think of cultures or groups as being individual level groups. Do you think it should come from top down or from down up? Uh, what are your ideas? Because I always feel like in a society, obviously, we have some administration, we have um, just like any organizations, but if in a bigger scope, you look at, for example, in a country, usually people are looking up to the administration, how they handle things. So I feel like it's really um, up to them to start um, having a very systematic and very um, realistic in a way, but equilibrium um, conversation and um, you know dealing with different groups. I know that when we talk about uh, the political issues, we always have divided the two groups into one group being in favor of um, multiculturalism, um, you know, all of the good things that you think about a human being, you feel like it's on, on this side. And then most people, when they talk about this side of the politics, they always feel like, ah, they're only thinking of, um, you know, money, economy, not much of humanistic part. I mean, when things are in people's head and they divide good or bad, yes or no, you know, we don't look at things in a gray, um, you know, way. That's why things happen like this. You know, one person 
has some personal experiences and all of a sudden that rage goes to the entire family and that family goes to another family. And I mean, we just expanded by individual experiences and we expanded to a bigger scope in the society. How do we resolve all these? I think that's a great question. We should pick that up right after break. How about that? I like that question. Let's come back to it. Sure. with Dr. Daniel Rockers and our today conversation is about racism and how we can raise children in a society that race is always, um, you know, one of the uh, topic of conversation. And it seems like with everything going on and getting better, but still we see rage, we still see a lot of fights, we see a lot of issues, people cannot have a calm and a good dialogue when it comes to things that our people are heated about. So we are continuing our conversation. Uh, when Before we go to break, I asked Dr. Rockers, how can we really have a dialogue in such a society that is all over the place with this and um, it's hard to start somewhere? I think the answer to that question really has to do with how do we help people see that there is no unitary Republican and that there is no unitary Democrat. Unfortunately, we do the same process when we throw people into the political camps of Republican and Democrat. We think, oh, well, all Democrats this or all Republicans that. And guess what? It's not true. We have to look at individual level variables in a lot of those things and take that into account. So, for example, somebody may not be in favor of health care for all, but then their mother, who is not yet Medicare aged, ends up with a chronic illness or a cancer that they don't have insurance to pay for it. Then they think, well, maybe it would be nice if the government would help, right? If that's a Republican person, then now we've got this contrast of Republicans in general may not tend to think of health care for all. That's why I think it's so dangerous to run these at a group level. We have to learn how to see other people. We have to have dialogue between people. That's key. What, well, what do you think? That's my thinking. Um. Honestly, this is one of the things, it's so big that um, I always feel uh, people are taking the history hard um, and it's hard to get it off 
their mind what has happened and it goes generation by generation especially in the United States where our history is largely structured to uphold these racial differences. So uh, we assume that there's an observable underlying personality trait that correlate to certain physical characteristics. So this is a quote that I'm taking from Diane Hughes, but even infants have the perceptual abilities to see those physical differences. So I'm just thinking, I really feel that it goes back to when a child is being raised from the time they open their eyes to this world. How do we really connect? If I'm going to, let's say, gym, or if I'm going to a class for raising my child, if in that class there's multicultural parents there, I think it's every individual's behavior that passes on to their children, don't you think? So because children by themselves, we give meaning to race. Race by itself doesn't mean anything. Any, any um, issues that we talk about, we give meaning to them. So it's important how we behave towards other cultures, towards other races, and how to be start from the families, because I know I'm based actually on this article that we are talking about, as I was reading a couple of days ago, I know that um, the research is showing that mostly in black families, the parents early on start talking about race to get their kids ready for the society. So I don't know what teaching goes on there, right? just because they feel they've been oppressed, you know, they're worried about the outcome when the kids go to school or go to the society. But in white parents' um, communities, usually parents don't, don't even talk about race. And children, when they get to um, schools, start learning here and there, the differences or the classroom teacher talks about race, but usually parents don't initiate based on this research. The kids come back home and they talk about it and then parents open up. But also because I think um, the, in white societies and, and in white families, usually parents are hesitant to say things negatively towards the other race because you know they know that the kids are going to come back to the society. So it's more like, um, sort of concealing situation that they, you don't share what is there in reality because the kids are still are not to that point to grasp, you know, your thoughts, your ideas. So they don't know until they pick here and there and they go to high school, then they go to college. Then that's the time they realize for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think as we become a more globally accessible world, those sorts of things are probably becoming more and more important. Uh, my, I guess my, one of my concerns, though, is that when it says, well, white people don't talk about race, is that an accusation? I mean, did you read that as an accusation in that article? I did not, honestly. My thought was when I read that was, of course, they don't talk about race, because what do they say? You know, if they say anything positive, the kids are going to go in the society and we are facing with a society that, that in general, um, we know 
that they don't want to hear that. If you say anything negative, your kid come to this classroom, says something negative, and then all of a sudden the whole family is accused of teaching the kids this. I feel like, yes, my understanding was there's so many underlying issues within the white community that, that they conceal, they don't talk about it, especially because they don't know what the outcome is going to be with the kids coming out and sharing that. And we know how the kids share everything when they learn or they hear from their parents, they come to the classroom and they just say everything they have heard. So obviously the wise parents don't share what they feel. They, they usually let it be, you know, I totally could understand why the white parents, um, don't so much talk about the race at home. Hmm. I thought of it in the sense of if you back up time-wise, chronologically, you know, it's only more recently that travel and the integration of cultural groups, at least here, I think, but probably everywhere to some extent. My this is my thinking, and I'm not saying it's absolutely right, but that the, the if you grew up in a, com <clears throat> a community like where I grew up in a farming community where most people did not move away, <clears throat> my parents lived, lived out their lives on a farm that was less than three miles either way from where my dad grew up and where my mom grew up, right? So most people did not move away. If you grow up in a, a non-mixed race <clears throat> place like that, I interpret it as there may not even be any reason of talking, having a discussion about race, what, you know, what differences it makes. It's not something you're going to encounter as you live out your life. And then if we play that on out say, well, at what point does that change? And when do people start talking about it? And what we know about culture, and you mentioned this earlier, is it's intergenerational transfer whether it's genetic or whether it's social, I don't think really matters. But these types of, here's what we talk about, tend to get carried over. I could see where there wouldn't be talk about it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, either one. I'm just saying, have we thought about all those things? You know, think about other countries. Think about other countries that are circumscribed. Do they do, they do that? I don't know. Well, your point is really well taken because I was just thinking, for example, in Iran, there is, we have so many different uh, dialect of the language and so many different cultural uh, specific to different areas. But um, for the most part, except the South area that people are darker, it's one um, race, pretty much. It's pretty much one culture, pretty much. I mean, Overall, there are different cultures in different regions, but um, one culture overpowers um, all other cultures, but not only they follow that, but they also have their specific cultures. But um, overall, uh, you know, there's no white and black. So there's, as you said, there's nothing to talk about in the families about, you know, they're always like here, there are jokes about, different parts of the region, like South is that, you just um, um, mimic the way they talk or the accent or, 
but um, there are societies that there's not much to talk about the race and culture. Um, like uh, as far as I know, in Iran, as I said, there's so many cultures within cultures, but it's not like anybody against the other culture. They just appreciate it, they celebrate it, they talk about it, but race is not an issue because everybody has the same race. For the most part, religion doesn't have an issue because everybody has the same religion because the uh, statistics is way too high, like 90%, 95% one religion, 95% one culture, 95% one race. So uh, I can see that, but in a society like United States, and I can see your point where you were raised, it's all, you know, just no other races except white. So obviously there's no reason to talk about, but let's say if there were families of black moving in, I'm sure they would have been reason for talking. But when I was thinking about the black culture and black families and teaching their kids from early on about race, about the society, they're, they're worried about these kids coming to the society and what they have in their mind. I'm sure it's not so positive. That's why they're afraid their kids come out and they face with some, you know, injustice or inequality or, uh, you know, kids outside of their homes may make a point about their race or their look. So I can see why those families are teaching their kids early on. And I can also see why um, white communities and white families, they don't talk about white. It's, it's something that it's, it's interesting. It's just, you can feel it, why they don't do that or why they do that, you know, based on what we see and what we hear. Yeah, the black families, pretty much it's a safety thing. You have to talk about it. We have to keep ourselves safe here. It's history has shown very dangerous for them. So they have to have those discussions and preparations for that and be very careful about it. I wanted to talk about the racial identity development. Um, as we know, Sue in um, United States is very famous for all the researchers that um, expresses and this research has been done with two, three people and it was in 1993. So there are stages of identity uh, development and one is the identity of racial and cultural identity. And it says the first part of um, development is positive attitudes towards and preference and preference for dominant cultural values and depreciating attitudes towards own culture. And at that, that point, probably the person would like even to have more association with white rather than let's say black or Indian culture or uh, Asian culture. So they see the dominant culture as, as very positive and they want to associate with that and they depreciate their own values and beliefs. But the next level is confusion and conflict over contradictory appreciating and depreciating attitudes towards the self and other of same or different groups. So they want someone from their own culture at that point. 
you know, they're just getting away gradually from dominant culture. Then they get to another level that is actively rejecting dominant society and dominant culture. And they have attitudes towards self, which is positive and members of the inner group. And then they go to next level, which is certainty, certainly, um, or certainty about rigidity of beliefs and conflicts between loyalty and responsibility to their own culture. And finally, sense of self-fulfillment with regard to cultural identity and have a strong desire to eliminate all forms of oppression. So as I was reading that, I was just thinking, you know, when they start really growing into that levels of cultural identity, it's so soon after their positiveness towards the dominant culture that changes, you know, and then for other steps, it's like more and more getting into their own culture and having um, the feel of responsibility towards their culture. But is that last, is it only in the last phase, the final phase where the children accept other cultures? Is that what I'm hearing? It seems like it's the last part is integration and uh, awareness that uh, they come to the realization that, you know, they have the desire to eliminate all forms of oppression. And it doesn't at that point matter whether they're associating with white or black or Asian or other cultures. So it seems like it's seriously awareness. So, or transformation sort of, so that um, you see the colors, you see the differences on surface, on you know, appearances, but deeply as a human being, you feel like we all are created and we, we always hear that God has created us equally. So if our, we are different, if we, we have a different DNA, we have different parents, we have different, you know, um, hormones, I mean, not hormones, um, I mean, different um, traits of um, race or background and all of that, when you put that together, in a way, we all are different, even in families, if there are five kids, they each have different characteristics, different personality with all differences, but we are one under, uh, you know, one big umbrella of being a human being. So when you get to that point that you're transformed, you're aware, you, you see um, the appearance and differences. So as we see the personalities, uh, and differences in characteristics of each of us. But um, you realize that it doesn't really matter who you are associating with as long as you can get along, as long as you have that similarities that you can communicate with. Right. Well, I wonder too, though, if maybe all of our extensive research and the current what I call, I call this categorical lensing, that we're looking only through the lens of race. And it's so prevalent right now. And I'm wondering if maybe it's doing, how much harm is it doing by causing us only to see through that categorical lens? Mm -hmm. You know, if I start only looking at the world in terms of white people or black people or race, different mm -hmm. race people, well, I'm really doing a quite a disservice to my fellow individuals. 
right? I just see them as a label. Yeah. And so I think that's it's a good question. It's a real good question to think about. Okay. So let's just have a break and come back. سلام به شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد من سعیده ملک افزالی هستم به همراه دکتر دانیل راکرز امروز در خدمتون هستیم و ما صحبت های امروزمون رو در مورد اختلاف های نجرادی و اینکه در امریکا به خصوص چقدر خانواده های سیاه و سفید با هم اختلاف نظر دارن و اصلا در کل جامعه چقدر این مسئله نجاد مطرح هستش امروز داشتیم راجع به این صحبت میکردیم صحبت همون به جاهای مختلفی در این رابطه رسید از جمله اینکه در خانواده هایی که سفید پوست هستن در امریکا مسئله ریز البته اینا همه بر اساس تحقیقات و موضوع صحبت ما مقاله بود که در اسوسییشن سایکولوژیکال امریکن سایکولوژیکال اسوسییشن هر دو خونده بودیم و داشتیم صحبت میکردیم که در خانواده های سفید پوست معمولا راجع به نجات کمتر صحبت میکنم و دلایل مختلفش رو مطرح کردیم در خانواده های سیاه به عکس از اولی که بچه میفهمه راجع به نجات باهاش صحبت میکنن که وقتی میاد بیرون تو مدرسه آگاهی هایی داشته باشه و خودش رو محفوظ نگه داره از مسائلی که ممکنه براش پیش بیاد برمیگردیم دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم with Dr. Daniel Rockers and this is Saide Malik Afzali speaking. We are uh, sitting here uh, from Tavana, non-profit organization. Tavana is a, a, a non-profit organization supporting individuals with cultural and psychological issues. Uh, we are very happy that we have weekly conversation about different topics about psychology and our today conversation, if you haven't listened so far, it's been about race and racism and how we raise our children and what does it mean um, when we talk about racism. So how do you see racism, uh, Dr. Rockers? What is racism to you? Well, I think it is what we talked about earlier. It's the idea of seeing people only in terms of race, number one. And number two, then being critical 
of them for being a member of a certain racial group. It's just an indiscriminate label applied to somebody so that you can put them down. <clears throat> I think that's what racism is. Mm. What do you think racism is? Well, I was uh, actually looking at what does uh, the articles, usually I'm trying to find articles that are uh, coded and there's reference. Um, you know, when you have your the doctor of the sheet, you always tend to always say things that they're really referenced. Um, so I was looking at the uh, American Psychological Association and based on the um, article I was reading, um, it was under what is racism. Uh, based on that article, it says racism is a actually fundamental system that um, it has a physical, it, it just shows values for some sort of physical features like uh, skin, skin color, and some sort of hair texture. And it says this system is unfair to some of the groups and that's, um, that's why we call it racism. So it says it's a fundamental organizational uh, which is um, actually uh, formed in a way that um, it has uh, relationship uh, inside and uh, it's uh, based on uh, so many issues in um, education, in employment, in housing. Uh, actually, its effect is on uh, all these areas and also other important uh, issues that uh, this racism has caused. And it just, uh, the raise of these um, effects goes to health, to income, to justice, to voting. And this is what I um, read in American Psychological Association. Okay, but what do you think it is? I think uh, it's just uh, anything unjustice between uh, races. Like, you know, if, if I'm this race and um, I don't see other races as equal to me, uh, then I'm a racist, you know? But if I see people as human beings rather than specifically, imagine rather than race, we uh, look at econ economical, levels and start um, just like in the past uh, generations before. Remember in the history of human being, there were um, caste system. So you were either in this side or you were on, the, on this side. So it was a caste system. You were nobody, you were just present. And then there was another group here. So I feel like if we don't, if we overcome it's not easy, let's, let's face it. As soon as you see someone, all those stereotypes, all those you know, biases comes to you as a human being because you've been raised uh, with hearing that, seeing that. So I'm just saying, if you try to be transformed, like the identity development that we talked about, um, you become uh, aware of everything. You see the colors, you see the differences, obviously, and you should, because cultural and racial um, competency is growing. Just like we just talked about it, 
you get to a point that you integrate, you're aware, you're transformed, and you have this sense of fulfillment when you are um, seeing human being as human being rather than focusing on differences, specifically when it comes to race and, and to you know obvious things like a skin color. I'm just thinking it is difficult. You have to see it, but you have to actually get over it. You know what I mean? Uh, if you're black and I'm white or vice versa, I see you're white or black and I see my color. But if I have similarities with you that connects us, then I should get over, you know, that stereotype and those biases that I have been raised with. That's how I see it. But I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to say, but I'm not sure how easy it is to actually behave that way because that goes with every other things. You know, this is just one big things that our society is facing with. But I'm just thinking when I see other people even with different, with the same race, with the same culture, but even in their behavior, when I see something different, am I seeing them as a human being with the way they are and accepting? Or am I, because I've raised differently, putting them under the microscope and judging them? I mean, it goes everywhere. It's not just about the race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can... I think the yeah it's it's more maybe it's more about hatred and dislike mm-hmm. and the grouping type of a mechanism right because I don't think it would be it, is it racism to, I've heard people talk about that Asians are better at math and computers mm-hmm. and people talk about that like Silicon Valley is a lots of Asians and I'm not taking a stand on that I'm just using that as an example but is it wrong to say, well, Asians are actually better than white people at math? Mm-hmm. Or is it wrong or bad to say Germans are better at engineering mm-hmm. than some other group? It's a, it's a, so I wonder if maybe the racism thing is more about the, it's more the primary thing is about hatred as opposed to group. Mm-hmm. And maybe, and in that way, maybe that should be the thing that we're, trying to get at instead of people's grouping tendency. I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. I think it's a problem. And I think, but I fear also to some, I don't know the answer to the problem. Mm-hmm. And I fear to some extent that the problem may be being exacerbated or made worse by this extreme of categorical lensing. Mm-hmm. So do you agree? Because as I was reading um, the article, in that article, it says psychologists are among those working to fill the knowledge gap um, when, when it comes to studying the processes and the influences um, that how children are developed um, to have the idea of racism and all that. Uh, do you think in, in our society, we have to raise children that they fight back, whether white or black, when they hear any messages that are biased? Do you agree with this um, so that the kids from early on learn 
to take care of themselves. Race doesn't matter whether, you know, we know this bullying is not about only race. We know bullying is about everything else. You see a um, heavy set kid in the school and you see that people, kids pick on that person. Um, you see someone just walked from another country, doesn't speak the language and people pick on that person. So it's not about race, but do you think we have to raise our children so that from early on, they have such high self-esteem that they fight for themselves and they, uh, I mean, it's very difficult we know because we know how emotionally sensitive a human being is. Imagine a kid being raised in a family with love, with attention, with always approval, and then all of a sudden goes to school and faces with all these other things that hears about himself or herself. So it's it's a really difficult situation when um, we are dealing with um, you know societies, and it happens everywhere. It's not just here. Kids are kids, and how do we raise the kids? not to do that, not to pick on each other, not to bully, not to really, you know what I mean? It's like, which way do we go? Because I know, for example, I always taught my children to be polite, to be proper, not to say anything bad to anybody. But then I, um, they learn by themselves that, hey, you know, people are not the same. So do we fight? Do we take care of themselves? How do we raise our kids to be that person? That's such a great question. And I don't think there's a simple or easy answer because do you, does fighting a fighter eliminate that fight? You know, does hating a hater eliminate that hate? I don't know. I, I think these are some deep questions we need to ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes think that attack and ridicule and labeling, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's helpful in terms of moving forward. Yeah. I know there's other opinions, but I just, I don't think that's helpful in terms of moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think we better go to the uh, wrap up phase here. All right. So let's wrap up. I know there's so much to talk about this as usual, any topic we bring and we talk about, there's always so much to converse about. So, uh, I know that it's not easy to to get to a point that um, we um, you know can find us. So because our time is really crucial right now, so let's just end and see our listeners uh, tomorrow, or talk to our listeners tomorrow. تنها باشم تنها بمیرم دیگه از درد و غم آروم بگیرم برم پیدا کنم یه جای خلبت بشینم عشق بریزم تا قیامت برم پیدا کنم یه جای خلبا 
آمد بشینم عشق بریزم تا
رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا